Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. You are in the trenches with former Buccaneers offensive lineman Ian Beckles on Radio Influence. Hello, everybody. This is Ian Beckles, and welcome back to In the Trenches. This is going to be a special edition and the first time we do it via Skype. Um, been doing it via Skype, but just myself. Uh, but I have a special guest from the Pewter Report. Mr. Mark Cook is in the house. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Um, you, you, uh, you, you, you getting used to this social uh, distancing thing, or do you want to be used to it? Where are you in your world? Look, man, I've been doing social distancing for 49 years. You know that, Ian. I don't really like people, so this is this is right up my alley, man. You know, I don't, I don't I don't have to leave the recliner. I can mm-hmm. uh, I can work in my underwear. This is perfect. Well, I'm spending a lot of time in my recliner as well. Way too much, to be honest with you. Now, uh, we have the draft, which is around the corner. First of all, PeterReport.com. Uh, you know, this coronavirus COVID-19 is affecting businesses different ways. I would, and I, I think I asked you this last time, but I would think it would affect you guys positively as far as the website goes. You're getting more hits on a website? Yeah, web traffic is is through the roof. We set actually a, a, a record last month um, with visits, with unique visitors all, all across the board, page views. Uh, in the history of PewterReport.com, oh, and uh, in in this month we're we're even on a bigger pace. Uh, March and April, really, believe it or not, tends to be our biggest months of the year. Now the start of the season is always big as well, but because of free agency and the draft, um, and that's something that we spend a lot of time on and try and specialize in, maybe to kind of differentiate ourselves from some of the other Buccaneer websites. Uh, you know, raising our bar a little bit, you know, with Trevor in the past. And, mm-hmm. and, and of course, now with John Ledyard, who's who's joined us uh, since Trevor's moved on. It's uh, it's given us an opportunity to, you know, really showcase what we do well. It's something that's been a passion of Scott's for a long time. Uh, and John really fits in that mold. He's done a tremendous job. So it's really helped us. Now, business-wise, though, like everybody else, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we can't monopolize these hits into mm-hmm. advertising when nobody's got any money to spend right now. And look, I mean, the bottom line is, is we have to have advertisers to keep the lights on. And so we're like everybody else, really, um, you know, struggling to a degree in that part. We've got some solid people still behind us, of course, which is good. But, um, you know, it's 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 not easy right now. But, yeah. you know, we're just hoping things will level off and, and we can get back to some semblance of normal in the near future and 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 hope there's a football season come 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 September, because if there is, um, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And it would be just like the football gods to give us Tom Brady and, uh, as a loan and not have a football season. We'll just be like the Buccaneer gods. And uh, you're, you're, um, you're not too far away from what we are, you know, experiencing over at radio with uh, sure. Ron and myself, where our numbers are great. I mean, everybody's listening. A lot of people are staying home and listening in different formats. So our numbers are excellent. But then when you talk about, you know, the Golden Diamond Source doing less advertising, then when the Golden Diamond Source, you know, does less yeah. advertising, you know we're in trouble. Yeah. Okay? We're yeah, not we're in trouble. <laughs> and uh, some of the big name uh, sponsors will start to fall off, and that's when we know we're in trouble. But it will all bounce back um, eventually. Uh, you guys put up a, w- a wonderful product, as do we. And I like to talk to you guys because I know, unlike a lot, and I'm not trying to badmouth anybody, okay? A lot, unlike some other people in our business, 
I, I know a lot of people just blow smoke, but I know you guys actually sit down and watch film and evaluate film. So to me, to me, that's very important. You guys take pride in that, don't you? Yeah, we really do. And, um, you know, and, and listen, Scott and John in particular, and of course, when we had Trevor, I mean, that's that's their passion. They love it. I mean, I love free agency and I love the games itself. I'm not as big of a draft, Nick, as those guys, but, mm-hmm. but there's no doubt about it. I mean, when we do our seven round bucks mock draft, you know, we include uh, highlights and film of, of these players and, mm-hmm. and specific breakdowns. John has brought to the table, you know, draft profile spotlights and and he writes a weekly column. And it's really been draft centric the last month or so. And again, I mean, he's breaking down the good, the bad, the ugly mm-hmm. uh, of these prospects, because, again, we can all watch a highlight tape, right? I mean, every yep. every kid out there has a, has a highlight reel and that's going to show his best stuff. But that's not really a true indication of him. I mean, my son started one year as, as a linebacker in high school football. And let me tell you something, he put together one hell of a highlight reel, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to sign him up, but then I also remember being in the stands yelling, what the hell are you doing? I yeah. mean, you know, you know how it is. I mean, we can all find the best. I mean, I could put together the best of my articles. As long mm-hmm. as people don't read the bad ones, then I, I look like a Pulitzer <laughs> Prize winner. But you know, so we try and find all of it. We try and look at all of the different angles of things when we take a look at these draft prospects. And that's something that John and Scott really do a tremendous job of. And and I, I ride their coattails on that part of things, Ian, but but I've I've learned a lot over the years from doing that. Well, that's why I usually go to you guys for any kind of draft information because, you know, I'm I try to be as real as I can with the draft and I let people know right off the bat. I don't know squat about the draft. I really don't. I mean, I'm not sitting there watching film. Now, if you said, Ian, I want you to evaluate these four linemen, I'll watch it and I'll evaluate it as well as anybody in the world. But right. I don't have time I don't have time to do that. I mean, and it's really it doesn't really add a whole lot to to my job because I don't know if people want everybody to get into the minutiae of things before the draft that's what you guys do you guys do the minutiae and we just do the grand scheme pretty much yeah yeah and and it works out good and you know we appreciate the partnership we have with 620 um boy i i think we may be going on four years now with that partnership Mm -hmm. we hope to continue it through this year i think it's worked out good for everybody and and we appreciate what john and and the crew do there at 620 and and you and ron and Tom and and uh, and and Ronnie and, yep. and and even Pat and Aaron, you know, we'll even, even go Pat and Aaron occasionally, you know, <laughs> when we have to, but we will. No doubt. Now, the draft's around the corner. Um, thank the Lord, first of all, because there's not a whole lot else to talk about. The format is pretty much the same, although the circumstances are a little bit different. Um, speak to some of the issues or snags that these teams might run into because of the new, I guess, it's not really a format. The format's the same, but, um, you know, they don't have all the bells and whistles this year. What are some of the issues they could run into? Well, well, first and foremost, you know, trying to evaluate these guys. Now, look, you know this, you played football. There, there's four years of tape on these guys, maybe three years, whatever it may be, all right? So the 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 analysis and the breakdown of what a guy does well on the field. Um, all 32 teams are pretty good at that part of things. And I don't remember if it was Jason Light or Mark Dominic or who it was, but one of the GMs told Scott and I one time, you know, where we where we miss is from the shoulders up, right? Mm-hmm. The Austin Safarian Jenkins, the Roberto Aguayo. I mean, when you look at the film, there's nothing to to miss on those things. I mean, Roberto Aguayo, 
Aguayo was the best kicker in college football history. You can't argue that. Um, but from the shoulders up, there was issues. Mm-hmm. Austin Safarian Jenkins had all the talent in the world, all the measurables, everything that you wanted. But from the shoulders up, he had his issues. Maybe Vernon Hargraves to a degree, too. I mean, when you look at the guys that the Buccaneers and really all teams miss on, it's it's mainly from the shoulders up. And what the Buccaneers and really all the other teams are missing out on with, with our world situation right now is the ability to get inside the head of these guys. And that's a big part of the evaluation. Good news, I guess, if you want to call it good news, is is all the teams are are handicapped by this. I mean, it's not like just the Buccaneers can't meet with players. I mean, all the teams are limited. The NFL has shut the facilities down. And so, you know, you're trying to do these things via Skype or via Zoom, and and it's just not the same as having a guy sitting in your office and and having him up on the on the whiteboard, right? Um, you know, d- dissecting plays and things like that. Those are the things that all the teams are going to miss out on, and that's the thing that's going to be the biggest difference when the draft, once the draft starts. Obviously, the aesthetics of it, it's not going to look the same on television. You're not going to have Roger Goodell calling people. You're not going to have guys in green rooms walking up, hugging the commissioner, getting their jersey, putting their hat on. All of those things will be missing. But as far as the draft process itself goes, the technical part of things – it's going to be, you know, it's all going to be basically the same, but teams are, are going to, you know, I mean, teams are are hurting to a degree, wishing they could meet and have these guys in because they're allowed, I believe, 30 visits with prospects, in-person meetings with prospects, and, and those things just didn't get done this year. Now, the Buccaneers met with a lot of guys at the East-West Shrine game. They spent a lot of time with guys up in Indianapolis at the NFL scouting combine, so there were some of those meetings, but not the in-depth meetings that they have when they bring the prospects in for their individual visits. So that's the biggest difference this year from from years past. Now, talking to Mark Cook from the Pewter Report, um, you talked about shoulders up, and I've always said that. Listen, there's a lot of guys that could run, a lot of guys that could jump, but there's not a lot of guys that could play in the NFL for a long time. Now, shoulders up, I believe, is it was important. Uh, everybody puts a lot of stock into Wonderlick, but it's not really a lot of stock, but people look at it. To me, book smarts and street smarts and football IQ are completely different things. I'm going to tell you the thing that uh, GMs and may people in the organization don't consider enough. You know, when we brought in Charles McCray, okay, me remember Charles McCray was a tackle sure. from Tennessee, first round pick, uh, top 10, I'm, I'm positive. Uh, and when he came in, I looked at him and I, he didn't seem the part, but then they, neither did Derek Brooks. Okay. Right. The, the, the question that they didn't ask Charles McRae is this question. Do you love the game of football? Now I'm talking for me. If somebody looked at me in my face as a, as a, uh, a rookie and said, Ian, do you love the game of football? And looked them back and I would have said, I don't know if anybody loves the game more. That's my answer. Okay. Right. Right. Charles, Charles McRae could not answer that. He didn't even know whether we were in the AFC or the NFC. So what? how do you figure out, how do you measure that part of it, whether a player loves the game of football? Because I think the difference between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf is that Peyton Manning lives and dies for football and Ryan Leaf didn't. How do you measure that before you get him there? Yeah, I, I don't know that you can. I mean, other than talking to coaches and 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 teammates uh, in college, even going back to high school, you can find out some of that. But again, that's part of what's going to miss, you know, when you have those questions for these guys. When you want to look a man in the eye, eye to eye, and ask him a question and get the feeling, is he telling the truth? Now, 
you bring up a great point that, that, you know, loving the game of football and just being good at it. You know, this team has had a lot of guys who were good at playing football and they played football because they were good, mm-hmm. but they didn't love the game of football. And I've mentioned this, I think, on your podcast before, but one of my favorite moments of the hard knocks a few years ago was Jameis Winston in the training room. I think he was with Peyton Barber and another guy. And, and I'm paraphrased, but basically he said what I just said. Some of you guys play football because you're good at it. Some of you play football because you love football. Now, it didn't work out with Jameis Winston for whatever reason, but the guy loves the game of football. I mean, you could get a a game together in the parking lot at one buck. I mean, I saw him at his football camps, Ian, do pickup games with kids, right? I mean, he just loved football, everything about it. My son is a perfect example. He's not uh, uh, an athletically talented, gifted guy, um, but he loved football so much, and he worked his tail off at it. Now, that only gets you so far because you have to have the talent to go along with it. Uh, But he also had guys on his football team that there's one kid, and I'm not going to mention him, but he's on his fifth high school, right? He was fifth high school. I mean, he transfers around because he's looking for the best opportunity, you know, to get noticed to go to school. And and sometimes these kids, you know, do it for the fame, for the notoriety. They don't do it for the love of the game. And finding 53 guys or as many of those 53 as you can that love the game of football mm. and buy into uh, an organization that, that promotes that. That's why the Patriots have been so successful. Listen, Bill Belichick loves the game of football. Tom mm. Brady loves the game of football. When Rob Gronkowski didn't love the game of football anymore, he walked away from it. I mean, he could have milked a paycheck for another three or four years, made millions of dollars, but he walked away from it because he didn't love it anymore. And so, you know, that's the key is trying to find as many of those 53 that love the game of football. When you look at the Chiefs, Andy Reid loves football. That's all that guy does. Well, in food, those two things are Patrick <laughs> Andy Reid. But a Patrick Mahomes, you can tell he's the kind of guy that on Thanksgiving after the dinner, he's got the kids out back, and you, I guarantee you he's playing a pickup game of football. And yeah. you know, trying to find those guys I think is the key to success. And I think they have a locker room now where they have more of those guys than they've had really in years past. I agree. And uh, looking around this uh, Buccaneer team, I would think oh, other than defensive back, we have somebody who's established – and all the positions that have been there and done that, and, you know, had some success. And I think that's important in the long run. Now, bring, I'm going to bring up a name, O.J. Howard, who I guess is being dangled out there as trade bait. We didn't really hear the Buccaneers say that it's more of a media thing, although I didn't hear the Buccaneers come out and squash it. When, right. you, talk, when you talk about O.J. Howard, I think you might he might fall right in the middle of that category. Because O.J. Howard, when you see him, you're like, damn, look at this guy. Right. He had an unbelievable college career. But for if if it is a case that Bruce Aarons is dangling him out there, to, and I've asked this question to many, many people, I said, why wasn't O.J. Howard successful in his first three years? Was it his lack of, of a relationship with Jameis Winston, or was he just not getting open? To me, if they're dangling him out there as trade bait in three years with that much talent, he's missing something. I think it might be football IQ. What, what do you say to that? You know, that's probably right. I think O.J. Howard loves football. I mean, O.J. Howard spends a lot of time. Now, again, you can decide if this is loving football or loving the idea of playing football. But O.J. Howard puts a lot of of social media posts out there. He puts in the work in the offseason. You can't question that part of it. Now, is that because he loves the game of football or because – you know, he wants, you know, some likes and and and, and those kind of things. So that gratification. But um, 
from what we understand last year, yeah, OJ struggled a little bit grasping what Bruce Arians was asking him to do. And, um, you know, I think he, he was better the two years previous with Dirk. Both those seasons were cut short due to injury. Um, but, I mean, it's a big jump, man. It's a big jump from from college. Even when you're playing at Alabama for Nick Saban, it's still a big jump from the college ranks to the NFL ranks. And intelligence does come into it. I mean, you can get by on athletic ability and passion, uh, but but having football smarts, is huge and understanding the nuances of the game. You know, I was working on my Monday mailbag uh, that I do every Monday. And one of the questions was at the end, Hey, what three guys do you want to be quarantined with, you know, past Buccaneers, present Buccaneers, if you could pick three, well, mine was Leroy Selman. Number one. I mean, he's the godfather of Buccaneer football. I would love to hear about the old days, you know, when football was a whole different game, a whole different breed of guys, that would have been a blast, right? Sure. I mean, I would love to hear the stories of, you know, the cocaine in the locker rooms and the strippers. You know, it was mm-hmm. different back then, man. There was no social media, you know what I mean? Guys were drinking beers at halftime. I and mean, I'd love to hear those stories. Not that mm-hmm. Leroy did any of that, of course. He but did. no, but then I <laughs> my second one was Warren Sapp. You know Warren. There he is the most unfiltered guy in the world. So if you're gonna be stuck in a room with this guy for a month or two months and you want to hear some stories and the truth. Warren Sapp is your guy. But my third guy, and this goes back to what we're kind of comes back around to what we're saying, was Alan Cross, right? A guy that nobody knew of, was just a tryout player, makes the team, ends up making the roster, the 53-man roster. Alan Cross, when you see him, he was not a football player. Mm-hmm. He looked like a guy that was coming to your house to clean your pool, to landscape, to cut the grass. You know what I mean? He was mm-hmm. not your typical football player. And he was a country bumpkin from Memphis and, you know, all shucks, you know, kind of a guy. But but the reason he was successful, Ian, and I had so many players, including Mike Evans, tell me about this, tell me this, is he just had a football IQ. Now, I don't know what his IQ is if you put him on the Wonderlick. I guarantee you it's not a 49, mm-hmm. all right? But at the same time, this guy understood football. He understood angles. He understood blocking. He understood concepts and those kind of things. And and that's really hard to teach, right? I think guys have it or they don't have it. Now, you see it a lot of times with players who don't start football until late in their career. You know, um, there are plenty of guys like a Mike Evans who played, you know, one year of high school football or whatever it was and two years of college football and, and is very successful in the league. Um, and a DeMar Dotson who never played, you know, uh, uh, offensive tackle in college. He was a basketball player and came here and had a long, successful career. But really, guys that grew up playing the game, and, and that's why I'm, I'm so, you know, I, I don't like, you know, little kids out there banging heads per se. Mm-hmm. But, man, if, if, if a kid loves football, let them play early because they're going to have such a jump and advantage over guys who start when they're in high school. Because they just understand the game, right? The, the 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 football IQ, knowing where to be and understanding what's going on on the field. Again, there are plenty of guys who are talented enough. They can just start playing, uh, you know, a senior in high school like a Mike Evans and be successful. But, uh, but really, a guy like Alan Cross was one of my favorite players because of the fact that, you know, again, he wasn't going to overwhelm you with size and speed and those kind of things. Uh, but there wasn't a smarter guy on the on the, on that offense for Dirk Cutter. Believe it or not, he was. Uh, he was he was a, he was he was in this league because of his smarts, not because of his size or his athletic ability. 
Sure. Now, I mean, for myself, I was playing football since I was seven years old, so I don't know any different. I just been pl- I've been playing football forever. I've been learning football forever. Uh, didn't know that I was learning as I was going. It's just what I did. And you know, when people talk about you know making it in the league, and you know, people I'll use WWE as a great example, like somebody like Brock Lesnar. You look at Brock Lesnar. There's no reason why you wouldn't think he could play in the NFL, and the reason why he can't is because of instincts. Uh, he just he just never did it. Um, right. You know, somebody like Demar Dotson, who's athletic. You know, he he was put on earth as an athlete. Okay. Yeah. So he had he figured it out. Okay. He you'll figure it out. But there's certain positions that like defensive tackle, but that is all instincts. Okay. It doesn't matter how big and strong you are. If I move left and you don't go left to your right, you lose. Okay. Right. So it doesn't matter. I like I played against Goldberg his rookie year, my rookie year. I beat the crap out of Goldberg. Uh Big physical guy, but I just knew the game a little bit more. Now, you talk about the um, offensive tackle, you bring up DeMar Dotson, and uh, the draft's coming up, and the Bucs have uh, a midway pick around 14, and obviously everybody's talking about an offensive tackle. And um, this kid, Becton, who I guess came through with a diluted sample, I don't know what what it is, but I I hope he drops to number 14 because he would be my pick. Anyways, what have you heard about his sample, and do you think it's going to make him uh, drop in the draft? Yeah, he's probably going to drop drop a little bit, but you know, there's been guys that have had these issues in the past, and I mean, hey, Warren Sapp, right? I mean, there were yeah. rumors of that, and caused him to drop, and it worked out pretty good for the Buccaneers. I mean, Laramie Tunsil, we remember that video that came out just a few minutes before the draft uh, a few years ago, worked out pretty good for him. He ended up, you know, still getting picked. I believe with Miami, and then gets traded uh, to to Houston and and gets a new deal. So, you know, look again. I don't know what it was. You know, you suspect marijuana. That's the most common thing with these college guys, and uh, it's it's really prevalent. And I think the NFL is understanding that they're going to change the rules in the new CBA to a degree as far as you know the punishment for those for for that violation goes. Uh, it, it probably will hurt him. A little bit with some teams, um, but I mean, you're talking about a 364-pound guy that moves like a 264-pound guy. I mean, they don't they don't grow on trees, man. They don't grow on trees. So, you know, if the Buccaneers have an opportunity to draft him, I don't think they would pass that up at all at number 14. Um, you know, in in the latest mock draft, you know, we had we have the Buccaneers reaching a little bit, and I say reaching. I don't know that it's a reach, but uh, Houston offensive tackle Josh Jones, he's a guy that is just outside the cusp of those four what they consider elite tackle prospects. And you know, I don't know that that's a bad pick at fourteen. Um, if the Buccaneers were to go that way, I mean, I wouldn't jump up and down, but I wouldn't be overly disappointed. Something I want to ask you though, Ian, mm-hmm. and, and this is something that I've brought up. I don't know that you – I mean, if you're drafting a tackle at 14, that's your left tackle down the road. You're not – how important is the right tackle? I mean, we know the left tackle is the blindside protector for most of these guys, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's the most important offensive line position or at least the most valued offensive line position. But is it good value to take a right tackle at 14? Because the Buccaneers were not 7-9 and nine last year because of DeMar Dotson. They weren't 5-11 and 11 the two years before that because of DeMar Dotson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you brought in a Walter Jones and put him on the right side if this team is much better than 7-9 and nine last year. So you, you need tackles. But in my opinion, if you're going to draft a guy 14 as a tackle, he's your future left tackle. What do you think about that? 
Well, I'd be honest with you. I don't think I ever understood that. Okay. I, I think times have changed somewhat because, you know, way back when, you know, the left tackle used to be the big thing because everybody put their great rusher on the right end. And right. most, most did what I, even when I played, you know, Paul Gruber was a left tackle, but half the time I had the best rusher. Like, I, yeah. I mean, half the time I had, okay. John Randall, who you, John Randall's the best rusher. Howie Long's the best rusher. Warren Sapp's the best rusher. Reggie White's the best rusher. Uh, they were all inside at the time. So, yeah. and the thing is with the right side, and the left side, I don't think I understand that either because listen, they're, they're both key, They're both positions that are doing the exact same things. One is blindside. Sure. But if your right tackle sucks, your, your offense sucks just as bad as if your left tackle sucks. Yeah. When I was in, when I was with the Eagles, we had our right tackle was uh Barrett, uh, Barrett Brooks. I think his name was, he gave up the most sacks in the league. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are. It's just you, if you get strong, put him out there. And if he's that good, you put him out there. Right. And then say two years from now, Donovan Smith does whatever happens and his kid can switch, switch him then. Because yeah. if you get a, a young kid, break it, you know, break him, break him in at right. And then he can move over to left. That's a lot better than throwing him in like in the, the pack of wolves at left. So to me, I think they maybe put a little bit too snot, too much stock in that right and left for me. Well, and, and that's maybe so. And, and listen, too, I mean, defensive coordinators are smart. I'm not saying they put those guys on you because you were the weak link. Mm-hmm. But if a defensive coordinator is smart, and, I mean, why can't Shaq Barrett? And we saw that with JPP last mm-hmm. year. They flipped sides. I mean, sure. defense coordinators are looking for matchups, right, that yeah. they can exploit. And if the right tackle isn't as good as your left tackle, you'd be foolish not to put a guy over there that can get to the quarterback as well. Um, so, yeah, I see what you're saying. I still think, um, you know, I would I, – I mean, I just don't think, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs or a Mekhi Becton – um, are ten-year right tackles? I think. Mm-hmm. I think, and and Donovan's guaranteed money is up after this year, so you know it may be a situation where they're looking at that. But again, you make a good point, and we saw it with the Buccaneers. You, you, I mean, from what you say, thinking about it, hey, we saw the, the Buccaneers move their defensive ends around or their outside linebackers around to, you know, to the left and the right side. So you're right; it's not the same as 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 twenty years ago. When primarily your your top pass rusher was always on the right side, going up against the left tackle, so that that's a good point. And then plus, you know, you, if you bring up the best offensive lineman in football right now, uh, Quentin Nelson's name is coming up, and he's a guard. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so this kid worse uh, from was it from Iowa? Yeah. This kid, okay. When when I heard them describing him, I, I pictured a guard. Okay, and I'm thinking, well, maybe bring him in, play him a guard, and maybe pop him out at tackle afterwards. That may be a whole situation as well. Listen, having a great offensive line is obviously the most important thing up and down. Now, do you, you see any way the Buccaneers don't go offensive line in the first round? Uh, I really don't, Ian. I mean, it's really you know probably their biggest need. And I say that, look, and again, it's not just right tackle. I mean, they brought in Joe Haig, a free agent, so they've got a guy that they feel is probably an upgrade over DeMar Dotson, they could still maybe bring DeMar back. Um, but, I, I mean, again, this team wasn't 7-9 and nine because of the right tackle position. This team was 7-9 and nine because they couldn't run the football. Mm-hmm. This team was 7-9 and nine because they gave up 47 sacks. And, of course, this team was 7-9 and nine because the quarterback threw 30 interceptions. Uh, that entire offensive line needs to get better. We can talk all we want about, you know, how great Ali Marpet is. He's got to be better. Mm-hmm. Ryan Jensen has to be better. Alex Kappa has to be better. 
And Donovan Smith has to be better if this team's going to make a run in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady is not Jameis Winston. I mean, we 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 joked around for five years about Jameis looking like a you know a, an awkward uh, you know person out there running for his life. But I mean, I, he's very underrated as far as mobility goes. Tom Brady doesn't have that. You're going to have to be better across the offensive line, not just at right tackle, but every position. Even if you you know, bring in. I think and Scott Reynolds has wrote about it. He he would he would like to see this this team flood the offensive line with draft picks and you know let the best five let the best five win. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You know who's the best five guys you can put on that offensive line to give Tom Brady as much time as he needs. Now Tom Brady's a, a guy that gets rid of the ball a little quicker. He's not going to hang on to it. He doesn't mind throwing it three rows up in the stands if there's not a play there. Um, but at the same time, to maximize the talent on this offense, you've got to be able to pass block and uh, let these routes develop down the field. So prote- protection is going to be key. And, of course, we know Tom Brady's success has also been partly because, number one, they've had great defenses in New England, uh, but they've also been fairly balanced at times where they've been able to run the football. They haven't had superstar running backs. We've had a lot of 1,000-yard backs, right? Uh, over the 20 years and 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 they need that this year I mean they can't you know they can't be ranked 25th or whatever it was in rushing and and expect you know Tom Brady just to carry this team on his back uh, and, and win a Super Bowl they're gonna have to run the football a little bit better and that all starts number one well I mean of course with the talent at running back but also the guys up front blocking because you guys block for some guys that that I would say weren't well, they weren't star running backs, but there were some thousand-yard rushers in your day. Sure. Uh, that was because you guys opened up holes. Um, if you give you know me a big enough hole and let me carry the ball 300 times in a season, you know I'm going to get a thousand yards. But uh, it doesn't matter how good your running back is back there if there's no room. We saw that with a guy like Cam Akers out of Florida State. He only averaged I think 4.2 yards a carry. Um, he blew up at the combine, all his measurables. I mean, people are like, man, his stats should be better. But if you look at that offensive line he played behind, it was dreadful. Maybe the worst college offensive line that I've seen over the last two years. So mm-hmm. he literally had to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken, you know what. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But in the NFL, it's even more difficult to do that, right? Because, I mean, even bad defenses are better than most good college defenses. So they've got to be able to upgrade that offensive line from a pass protection standpoint, but just as importantly, uh, as far as run blocking goes, and they just weren't consistent. And I don't think they, you, you may have a different opinion on this, but I don't think they really figured out what they wanted to do in the run game last year. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, did, did they want Ronald Jones to be that guy? Did they want Peyton Barber to be that guy? I'm not a big platoon guy, I like a guy to get a rhythm back there and, and, and give him the ball 20 times a game or whatever it is. Um, but were they a zone blocking scheme? Were they a man on man? I mean, I don't, they never, they never had an, an identity on that offensive line. And I think that's something they've got to be able to do this year is develop some sort of identity uh, in, in the run game and, and on the offensive line. Well, identity is, is hard sometimes because when you look at our offensive line and you look at uh, last year, we have DeMar Dotson, we have, um, you know, Donovan Smith, they don't really have anything in common, you know, and, 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 you know, you have a young Kappa and you have a Jensen and you have a Marpet. They're all kind of mix and match. You know, Mm -hmm. when, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys offensive line, they're all big guys. Or you see the, they all brought all the Broncos used to be all smaller guys. And that's why they were out of zone. We're kind of a little bit of both. And you're right. We, we don't have an identity. We don't have a mentality. And way back when I was playing and 
you know, we had Reggie Cobbs and some guys like that who got a thousand yards, but you think about it. We had, you know, unestablished quarterbacks. We had unestablished wide receivers. We had slow tight ends and we were still running for a thousand yards. And I'm thinking, imagine we had a quarterback that's yeah. for 5,000 yards, how we could have <laughs> ran the ball when everybody's playing deep. So to yeah. me, I don't know if it was a mentality thing, uh, an identity thing, but I just, I just haven't seen the Buccaneers want to run the football uh, regardless because great teams that run the football, they're going to run the football regardless. And when you go back to the quarterback situation and you talk about Brady and Jameis, to me, there's certain situations where Jameis is going to be better than Tom Brady. There, yeah. there is. Uh, and it's, it's, if you, if you break down early, okay, if you get beat early, Jameis is going to be better than Tom Brady. And that happened often with our offensive line, right? But most of the other situations, Tom Brady is going to be good. Tom Brady's going to get the ball out of his hand quickly. Tom Brady's going to make the right decision. And that's the thing with, with Jameis. Jameis got them out of certain situations, but then when you get out of that situation, now what you're going to do? Like if, okay, he might spin out of a couple plays, and out of 10 plays, four of them he gets good plays, four of them maybe nothing, but two of them are going to be interceptions. Yeah. And that's, but that's what Jameis has to get rid of. And that's what Dom Brady doesn't have in his repertoire. And sometimes punting the football is okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, uh, shoot, who's the offense coordinator out of dirt cutter that went to Cleveland last year. Name slips my mind, but I mean, and all coaches have said it, they, they want every offensive drive to end in a kick, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, an extra point, a field goal or a punt. That's the mm-hmm. only three ways you want your uh, you want your offensive possessions to end because if it's the other thing a turnover then you're hurting your football team Correct. and you're right Tom Brady look in 20 years if Jameis Winston somehow lasts in this league in 20 years he's gonna be a hell of a lot smarter quarterback than he is and than he was in year five I mean you can't really put a value on you know what Tom Brady has seen I mean there's not going to be anything defensive coordinators are going to do. Tom Brady isn't going to anticipate, not just, not that he hasn't seen Ian, that he's not going to anticipate happening before it happens. And that's what makes him so good. And if his body can hold up with his mind and those two things can kind of work uh, together still, then this, this football team has a potential to be really, really good because you're right. He's not going to put them in bad positions. He may not pull them out of bad positions, Mm -hmm. but he's not going to put them in the bad positions that Jameis Winston did from time to time. Now, again, you guys know I love Jameis Winston. Um, you know I, I I find it I find it kind of ironic that I get beat up on Twitter that I that all of a sudden I'm a Jameis hater and I'm like, have you guys not paid attention yeah. to me the last five years? <laughs> I mean, you know, but whatever. And I'll be honest with you, Ian, I've even got some blowback from his camp, mm-hmm. even as recently as this weekend. Somebody made a comment. I'm like, really? really? I mean, are you kidding me? But you know, whatever. Uh, it is what it is. Look. It was exhausting covering James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. was exhausting. And uh, I'm not upset. You know, I want him to go on and, and be great. I'd love to see him go on and win a Super Bowl somewhere one day. Um, but I'm not I'm not depressed that he's gone. It's it wore me out, man, for five years. And an opportunity to cover Tom Brady is exciting. Uh, again, I wish nothing but the best for Jameis Winston. I'm a big fan, but I get it. I get what they did. I mean, they didn't replace Tom Brady. I'm mean, sorry, they didn't replace Jameis Winston with Marcus Mariota or even a Ryan Tannehill. They replaced Jameis Winston with a guy who's been in nine Super Bowls and who has six rings. I mean, who wouldn't do that? Exactly. I mean, you, you'd, you'd be foolish if you had that opportunity and you didn't do it. And my thing is, and listen, 
Mark, I think we're almost the same person to where uh, I've defended Jameis a lot. I mean, a lot to sure. where I've, at, at times I'm like, I'm, I'm going on there thinking, oh, this is going to sound bad, but I, I still kind of have to defend him, you know, right. because Jameis is that funky player because you sit there and you watch him throw a pick in the first drive, then you watch uh, another pick in the third in the third quarter, but in between that was brilliance. Yeah, and I just say, what is happening? And the thing is, um, I want. I still think Jameis is going to play good football down the way. Yeah. I really, I don't think Marcus Mariota will. A lot of these yeah. other guys, but I really think Jameis is going to play good football down the way. No doubt about that. But it got yeah. to a point last year, and I kind of contradicted myself to when, uh, when when Jameis played up to the first fourteen games of the season. And when Mike Evans and Godwin went down in the last two games, I said this just before the last two games. I said, make sure you don't evaluate Jameis on these last two games because it's not going to be fair. Because right. There's, there's not enough talent out there. And there and, wasn't. And he had a broken hand. I and mean, he had a broken hand. I said but, it on our podcast. If I'm Jameis Winston, I'm like, I'm done, guys. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're not going to the playoffs. Uh, even if we finish nine and seven, we're not going to the playoffs. What the hell's the difference between seven and nine? All he's doing is hurting his potential for coming back. And, and he we did, though. That. But he, but he did, though, Mark. If he, if he were ended his his season with two games left, yep. he might be a quarterback still because he pooped yep. on himself so bad those last yep. two games that everybody's like, I can't. And you know what? I did it too. I flipped after we threw the last pick. I yep. go. It's time to go another way. It's time <laughs> to go another direction. Unfortunately, yep. you know. Yep. So yep. I'm. I'm, I'm yeah. I did the same thing. I I was more after that Houston game um, that they lost twenty three to twenty. I believe was the score. You know, if if people go back and listen to that podcast, I could see why Winston Camp doesn't like me because I went off. I mean, I was just sick and tired of it. And uh, but you know, when you look back at you after you have time to look at it after you settle down and the emotions gone. And I really honestly thought that was going to happen with the Buccaneers, to be honest with you. I thought, yes, Bruce was upset. Jason was upset. There were guys in that team upset with the last two games, but I really thought, you know, once everybody settled down, they looked at the whole picture, you know, is it a different story if it's 30 touchdowns and 28 interceptions? There's something about that 30, 30 Mark, right? There's something about that last, past his career going the other way and losing a game that just is hard to 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 let go and um but anyway again if tom brady isn't available if tom brady isn't if he's still in new england right now um i would think that Jameis winston is a quarterback i know that they said bridgewater number two mm-hmm. i i would have taken Jameis for one more year over teddy bridgewater in my opinion uh but again Jason Light and Bruce Arians have yet to call me and ask me what I think. So <laughs> don't don't hold your breath for, for that one. Now, okay, before I let you go here, Mark, number the, the second pick in the draft, that's really all you can look at and say, well, that's probably the way they're gonna go after that. It's really a hit and miss, best on the board. But the number two, say they go offensive tackle, first pick, that number two pick the only other huge void we have. Uh, like I said, defensive back would be nice, but don't know if anybody be there. Uh, running back with some catching yeah. ability seems to be uh, the way they should go. What, what do you think? What do you predict for that second pick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a deep, deep running back class, one of the deepest classes we've seen in a long time. Um, and, and in our mock draft, and a player that I completely agree and think is a perfect fit in Bruce Arians' system is LSU's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, 
He's only 5'8", right? I mean, he's Darren Sproles' height. Well, he's a mm-hmm. couple of taller than Darren Sproles. Uh, but he's 209 pounds, okay? He's not 5'8", 160 pounds. He's not work done size. He might be work done height, but he's he's got more weight and, and a little bit more punch to him. But, man, he catches the ball really, really well out of the backfield. And, that, and that's, I think, something the Buccaneers are really wanting to do, uh, you know, with this offense this year with Tom Brady. And, and listen – if you're not going to run for, if you're not going to have a guy that runs for 1,400 yards, you know, it, a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield is an extension of that running game. I mean, we saw Mike Allstott his rookie year, you know, catch I don't know over 50 balls. I can't remember what it was, uh, but he had a tremendous, you know. But that's an extension of the running game, right? If you swing a running back or a fullback out of the backfield and you get him the ball, and if he only gets six or seven yards, that's probably more than you get rushing the ball. So. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a guy that can do that. I mean, last year, 55 catches, 453 yards, had a touchdown. He averaged 8.2 yards of reception. Plus, he you know he still ran for 1,400 yards, averaging 6.6 yards a carry, and had 16 TDs. And one of the things that was impressive is he did some of his best damage against some of the best teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, his game against Alabama last year was one of his best games. Uh, he played well in that championship game. I mean, uh, you know, he's... He's a good fit, in my opinion. I don't know if he's there. It's going to be close. I don't think he's going to be drafted in the first round. I think Jonathan Taylor is the first running back to go off the board. Uh, If he's there, I would love to see the Buccaneers take him, too. I think he's the better pure running back. But as far as an all-around guy, I think Edward Hilaire is, is, is a guy. If for some reason they don't make that move in the second round, then I think you could look at a guy like Cam Akers possibly lasting until the third round. And, and, you know, he's not Jonathan Taylor and he's not Clyde Edwards Slayer, uh, but he's he's better than he's better than Peyton Barber. He's better than Dare Ogunbowale. He's better than T.J. Logan. And, and he may be better than Ronald Jones. So, uh, you know, you've got to upgrade that running back position. And look, if the offensive line doesn't get any better, Cam Akers would fit in great. I tweeted a while back. He would think he died and went to heaven running behind this offensive line compared to what he did. <laughs> At Florida State, and he, you know that's even with the offensive line being very average, running the football last year. So, uh, but Clyde edwards Lair is a guy that we had in our second round mock, and and it's been consistent with a running back at that position really through our seven mocks. I think uh, I think he's a guy that we know the Buccaneers are very very high on him. Um, the only only question mark is you know he he's not a one hit wonder because he did have 658 yards rushing uh, in 2018. But he only had 11 catches that year. So, but I mean, he also was backing up some 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 damn good guys in Alabama too over over his time there. So it's not like you know he was um, you know the focused back and only had 658 yards when he became the featured back. I mean, rushing for 1,400 yards and had another 450 through the air. I mean, nearly accumulated for 2,000 yards. I mean, uh, that's a guy I think would be huge for this offense. And man, if they stay healthy. If we get to play football and they stay healthy and they've got a Clyde Edwards-Lair and a Ronald Jones and an upgraded right tackle, Tom Brady and Evans and Godwin stay healthy, OJ figures it out, Cam is still here. I mean, who's stopping these guys? Uh, Hopefully nobody and hopefully all those uh, situations transpire because some of them are iffy (laughs) right this moment. Uh, We're just hoping things start smoothing out. It seems like the world's heading in the right direction. We just got to give it time and everybody continue to do what you've been doing and uh, don't go back to what you were doing because uh, we're definitely heading in the right direction. But Mark, Pewter Report, uh, go to, everybody go to pewterreport.com. Check out 
uh, Mark Cook and uh, Scott Reynolds, and they do some wonderful things evaluating talent and breaking down our Buccaneers. Everybody, make sure you listen to the Ron and Ian show every day, Monday through Friday, 95.3 FM, 6.20 AM. Mark, I appreciate your knowledge, brother, as normal, and uh, let's get together and talk maybe uh, when this uh, draft is over as well. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. I'd like to uh, – I-, I will unsocial distance myself to hang out with you, Ian. You're, you're- – <laughs> I appreciate people sitting and watch. We can watch films six feet apart. We can, yeah. we can, we can do that. Everybody, yeah. follow follow me on Instagram as well. It's Ian underscore Beckles. But thank you for listening in. This has been in the trenches. Everybody, have a wonderful week and please be safe. Peace out. You have been in the trenches with Ian Beckles on Radio Influence. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. The economic strife in athletics, in college athletics, is a drop in a bucket compared to the bigger overall economic strife in society. So, yes, it's devastating for college athletics, but they can't do anything about it. They can't sit there and they're absolutely putting the word out there. They can't justify, they can't sell it to anybody other than maybe the hardcore fan that wants to sit there and watch the game with no fans or at least willing to do it. They can't do that in their eyes. They can't sell that in the eyes of the court of public opinion that, hey, fans, not safe for you to show up. Hey, students, You have to go to online classes. Football players, we'll see you tomorrow. Practice at 3 o'clock. And game starts at noon. (laughs) It's not in the day and age of, well, you got to pay the players. You got to do it. That's not happening, folks. Now, I'm not saying college football is not happening. Maybe it can. Maybe it will. But it's only going to happen, I'm told, following campuses opening up. So we'll see. Now, what does it mean? in a pure sense, if we don't have a season. We know the loss of the NCAA basketball tournament was huge. I am told it's going to cost an average. Now, this means what's an average? More for some schools, less for others. It's going to cost an average of $75 to $80 million lost per school. Add that up. It's like $40 billion, I believe, is what the number is. Unbelievable loss. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.